Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hello, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to message number two in the series called The Fire of His Presence, The Secret of Eternal Passion. And I have mentioned this, I said this in last week's video, you know something, my greatest fear when I gave my life to Jesus is that I would get bored. Now, I've never been somebody that needed a lot of grand gestures or huge experiences I'm not extremely emotional and that sort of thing. But I'll tell you this, I have to have passion and purpose in my life. And if I don't, I have no motivation to do anything. I'm telling you, I'm just dead in the water. Well, believe it or not, whether you realize it or not, you're probably more that way than, than you ever understood. Many times people think that they, they got a problem with being lazy. Uh, they think they got a problem with being undisciplined. And really, it's just the fact that they just don't have the kind of motivation that comes from passion. Well, this message and this series is not about beating you up or making you feel bad about your lack of passion. This series is about helping you figure out how to recover passion. If you had it and lost it, how to recover passion. Or if you never had it, how to establish a life that is filled with compassion. Now, you may be wondering, why did I call this the fire of his presence? Well, fire is a really interesting thing in the Hebrew language and in the Hebrew alphabet. The letter shin can represent fire or can represent teeth. And either one of those, whether you're talking about teeth that, that chew something up, break it down and consume it, or whether you're talking about fire that consumes something, passion is something that happens because we are consumed with an idea. We're consumed with an inspiration. Now, keep in mind, I am not talking about just an emotionally driven passion. I'm not talking about somebody who just shuts their eyes and jumps off the cliff and, and hopes it's going to work out for the best. I am not talking about someone who acts just out of being impulsive uh, and excited. I'm talking about somebody who has a burning, has a fire, if you will. You know, one of the prophets of old said, that he had a fire in his belly. Man, I know what that means. You probably know what that means. I, I'm telling you, I can recall so many times where I've been in situations where it was like I had a fire in my belly. I knew I needed to move. I knew there were some things I needed to step up and do. I knew, knew there were some things I needed to apply. Now, see, that's those tendencies right there where we tend to stop. Say, oh, wait a minute. I don't understand this. I'm not sure this is of God. I'm not sure this is the right thing. Let me tell you something. Uh, the devil or your flesh is never going to inspire you to do something that's going to serve God, serve people, help people establish their lives in the kingdom. Now, when we start our walk with God, most of us start our walk with God with that fire. We start our walk filled with passion. And I, I may have mentioned this before, I'm not sure, but you know, uh, back in the 70s, I looked at some information that said that the average uh, believer, uh, if they ever win anyone to Jesus in their entire life, it's usually in the first year that they get saved. And the numbers were 
the percentage was really high, 70, 80% of the people who lead somebody to the Lord, they do it. And they are, they are someone who has been saved probably less than a year. And then the sad thing is that they very seldom ever win anybody to the Lord again. Now, don't beat yourself up. Don't sit there and say, oh, man, I'll never win anybody to Jesus. What is wrong with me? That's not the point. Let's deal with the root. If we deal with the root, then the fruit will grow, and it will grow pretty much effortlessly. Now, I, I want you to understand something. Most of the time when we came, though, not everybody has had this experience. I'm telling you, I was so fortunate. When I gave my life to the Lord, my first commitment was I'm going to read the Bible for myself. I'm not going to believe what anybody else ever tells me about God. And when I began reading the Word of God, and I'm, I don't really remember for sure how I came to this, this conclusion, but when I began reading the Word of God, I approached it as if these words were written to no one else but me, as if this was a personal love letter from God to me, giving me advice, giving me teaching, showing me how to have the very best life possible. And so I, so I made this incredibly personal. I made this incredibly uh, uh, applicable to my life, not just to the church in general, even though I knew it was to the church in general. So that, that was a big thing. Now, what probably so many of you gave me a little bit of an edge, and so many of you may have never had this happen, uh, after I'd read the New Testament through a time or two, I found a church. And I was very, very fortunate, and I was very selective. I did not want a church that was legalistic. I did not want a church that was mean. I did not want a church that was judgmental and cruel. But I also didn't want a church that was flaky and, and driven by emotions. I wanted a church that, that was rooted in the Word of God, and, and the Word of God was going to be our basis for knowing who God is, understanding, and following Jesus. So found a little church. Well, my very first uh, week or two that I was there in our Wednesday night Bible study, they started a series on the book of Revelation. Now, suffice it to say, a lot of what uh, they taught, I probably wouldn't agree with today, but it wasn't anything that would send you to hell, and it certainly wasn't something I was going to start an argument about. But one of the things that happened was was reading the Bible myself and immediately uh, getting into a well-balanced study in the book of Revelation, one of the things that began to happen to me is I began to have this sense of urgency, or maybe it's not wasn't even urgency. Maybe it was more like sensitivity and awareness about the second coming of Jesus. Now, let me put a little parentheses in here. The majority of the church today no longer believes in what we have called the rapture. And, and they will say it's not in the Bible, but it very clearly is in the Bible. The only difference is not the word rapture. In the Greek language, it's the word harpazo. And the Apostle Paul teaches about the harpazo in the book to First and Second Thessalonians and talks about how that we will be harpazo. We will be gathered and called away to meet with him in the air and that's when we put on our new resurrection bodies. And then the harpazo, or as some people will call it the rapture, that's one event. But then the second event is going to be when we come back with him, when he, is, when he delivers Israel from the grips of the Antichrist, 
and where he sets up his kingdom and we rule and reign with him. Those are two separate events. But I'm going to say something to you. Even if you don't believe in the rapture, that's all right. Because what I'm going to be sharing with you is really going to be something that for people who don't believe in the rapture, but you do believe in the second coming of Jesus, you can still utilize these things that I'm going to teach you. But I hope if you're going through this, you will begin to take a whole new look at the rapture and say, well, wait a minute, maybe I need to study that a little bit more. Maybe I need to look at that. Uh, we have these, these teachings, as I've already mentioned last week, we have these teachings that present this concept of eminence. Now, eminence means, I'm kind of giving a little uh, broader uh, definition of what this word means when we're talking about the, uh, the harpazo, but eminence means that this is something that can take place at any time and it really requires no, no warnings. It requires no signs. There are no particular things that have to happen before it can happen. And so that means that this is something that a person has to stay ready for. Now, we'll read these scriptures that talk about Jesus coming like a thief in the night, so we need to be ready. ready. We need to watch and pray. You know, we need to we need to do all of these things that we're that we're supposed to do. But also, then we read about him coming like a thief in the night. And you're like, well, wait a minute, which one is it? Well, I'll tell you which one it is. It's two different events. And one of the reasons these sound so conflicting is because we we try to we try to make them one event and we end up with a lot of contradictory scriptures. And we don't want contradictory scriptures. So anyhow. I want you to understand that Jesus taught about the concept of eminence. So whether you believe in the harpazo, where we're going to be caught away with him in the air, or whether you just believe in the second coming, where he's going to come and establish his kingdom, that, that's fine. The main thing is this. Do you have an awareness or a sense uh, of, of urgency about that? Uh, I want to read you, we're going to look at some par- a parable right here today, and I'm going to go as quickly in this as I can. You know, this is, the, this is a series that I will not have a, uh, uh, an audio version of this, a longer audio version of this. This month, we have a special offer for you. Uh, you know, we offer Christmas special every single year for people who want to invest in their lives, people who want to give people gifts that will affect them eternally. And so and so uh, I, I don't want to distract you by offering a new product right now. So so I'm gonna have to give you everything that I can give you in these in these videos. And I'll be talking some more about these kinds of things as we go by. But I want you to understand something. The parables, see one of the things one of the things that happened the back in the in the dark ages, if you will, the church was so corrupt and so messed up that they really had to twist a lot of the teachings of Jesus in order to justify uh, their doctrinal positions, but even worse, to justify their moral positions and their ethical positions and some of their their, their bizarre teachings. But um, so, so one of the things that was done, this happened basically in the Catholic Church, was that, uh, was that we, we were taught that Jesus' teachings were allegorical, that they were really not literal. And so since they were allegorical, these are just stories that he's telling 
that that uh, point you to some other truth. Uh, and, and basically, at the end of the day, it really minimizes the teachings of Jesus, which really, remember this, Jesus is our Lord. He's not just our Savior, He's our Lord. His teaching is supposed to be where we judge all other teachings. And instead, we put it last, and some people push it totally out of the new covenant. But Jesus himself said, said now listen, if you, don't, if you don't follow, if you don't apply my teachings and my interpretations of the scripture, then really, I don't have anything to do with you. We're, we're not intimate. We are not close. I have no connection to you. And because you don't apply these things that I'm teaching you, which means if you turn them into allegories and just vague general spiritual stories, then, then the truth is you're going to get robbed of the benefit of, that you should be getting from his teachings. But the parables, even though they have some allegorical uh, references in them, they are not allegories. Jesus said that the parables were teachings about the mysteries of the kingdom of God. You know, the first church that I went to, great church, loved church, but they always uh, taught that Jesus, all of Jesus' parables were teaching you how to get saved, how to get to heaven. Well, man, if Jesus, if that's where Jesus is teaching you how to get saved and get to heaven, then he's schizophrenic because one minute he's talking about how easy it is, and the next minute he's talking about how hard it is. Uh, it would just be so full of, of conflicts. Well, well, these are not teachings about how to get saved. You get saved by believing on the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But these are teachings about how we live in this realm that the Bible calls the kingdom of God. Now, uh, in Matthew 13, 34, it says, all of these things, Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without parables, he didn't speak to them, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Now, in the new covenant, God is revealing things to us that have been hidden. The prophets of old didn't see these things. Uh, they Some of them prophesied some about it, but they really didn't see the church age. They really didn't see uh, uh, what the Messiah was going to do when he came the first time and died and, and took our sin and, and, and gave us the free gift of righteousness. They, have, they had no concept of that. So, so Jesus' parables are where we go really to understand the mysteries of the kingdom and to be able to interpret all of these other teachings that we've had all of our lives from, you know, from the entire Bible. But Matthew 13, 10 says this, and the disciples came and said, well, why do you speak to them in parables? Now, this is one of these verses that people misunderstand, they misinterpret, whatever. And it says that he answered and said, because here's why I teach in parables, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Everybody overlooks that part where he says, I'm teaching in parables because it has been given to you. And they go straight to the part that says it has not been given to them. And they apply that broadly and say, you know, these are just things that we that that we just cannot understand unless we get a special revelation for God or who knows what people come up with. But but Jesus made it very clear that the reason he spoke in parables was because he is conveying a spiritual thought or a spiritual concept that there are no natural words 
to explain it. And the only way you can catch it is with your heart. You know, the heart is the facility of understanding. And, and so through these parables, people who, who are listening for, to understand kingdom principles, people are listening to say, this is going to show me how to live. This is not a, this is not a list of, this is where I'm going to learn how to live. This is where I'm going to learn how to, you know, have a victorious life. Then, then we understand this is where we discover the secrets of the kingdom. And uh, we, since we enter into the kingdom now, then, then these parables are teaching us about how to function in kingdom living, kingdom values, kingdom ethics, kingdom priorities right now, not waiting until we die and go to heaven. Now, in Luke 12, 42, he, he gives his parable. And so he says, who then is, who then is the faithful and wise steward? Now, I like that. He calls us steward. You know, he never causes us Christian. I despise the, the, the word Christian. You say, well, why do you despise the word Christian? Because it's not a biblical word. It's not a, it's not a word that God uses to describe us. Yes. And the Bible is used two, maybe three times of people describing the church, but God never uses it to describe the church. The word Christian is one of those words that has no significant biblical meaning. Therefore, you can call yourself a Christian and embrace any kind of crazy doctrine you want to embrace. But God calls us steward. He calls us disciples. You know, he calls us servants. He calls us everything that he calls us has to do really with something that identifies our relationship to him, our position in him, but also our function that we are to be serving for him in this planet Earth. So who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Now keep in mind, in the millennium, in the thousand-year reign, after the Harpazo, and with the Harpazo, we meet him in the air, we get a we put on a resurrection body, we go, we attend the marriage feast of the Lamb, and very probably we stand before the Bema seat of Christ where all of our works are judged. These are not works that determine if we get into heaven. These are works that determine how we will rule and reign with him in the millennium. And so that's what, the, the, and he says it plain here, who then is the faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their food uh, or their portion of their food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. This is not allegorical, folks. This is the real deal. This is what we're going to do in the thousand-year reign when we rule and reign with the Lord Jesus. But then he goes ahead and he says, but if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, and the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and an hour that he is not aware, and he will cut him in two and appoint him his, uh, his portion with the unbelievers. Now, we don't need to go through all of this, all of this entire parable. Here's the main thing. We have been left here to be stewards and servants, and we are here uh, to really prepare ourselves and the world for meeting the Lord Jesus and spending 
eternity with him. That's that's what we're here for. And that means we win people to Jesus. It means we it means we manifest the love and kindness of God. It means that people see Christ in us by the way that, you know, by the way that we serve him, by the way that we by the way that we represent him. So one of the principles that you see about a life of passion, you see, for me, and I don't know how it was for you, but for me, you know, first of all, I read my Bible. I had a prayer life. And really, you know, when I got saved, man, I knew that I was the problem. I knew that uh, no matter where I went, there I was, and which meant I took all of my problems everywhere that I went. And and you know, I did, man. I would disappear. I, sometimes I would change my name. I would go, I would hitchhike to some other town or, or some other country, literally. I mean, I went to Mexico when I was about 17 years old and disappeared and hid out, hid out in Mexico. But you know, I found that no matter where I went, trouble always followed me. And as carnal and as ignorant as I was, I was able to look around and say, if trouble is everywhere that I am, then very obviously, I'm the common denominator here. I am the problem. And so I knew that I needed to get saved from me. I was sick of the person I was. I was of this dishonest, cruel, unkind, uh, perverted person. I didn't want to be that person anymore, and I didn't want the, the life that that person could have. So, man, I'm telling you what, when I gave my life to Jesus, I gave my life to Jesus with the intention of leaving all of that life behind me. So so I come in, I'm reading the Bible. I got a real prayer life. I'm not talking about a formal prayer life. I'm talking about reading the Bible, talking to God, uh, asking him to teach me, asking him how I apply this. Uh, you know, listen, I didn't understand anything of the Bible when I was reading, but that's all right. You read it, and if you seek to know how to apply it to your life, then that's where the Holy Spirit can come in and teach you. So, so man, alive. Here I, here I have, I've had my sins forgiven. Here I am. I, you know, that old person that I despise is dead and is gone. I've got a new life. Uh, and so I had a lot to be passionate about. And then I start finding out about the second coming of Jesus. I start finding out that he is going to come back. And like I say, it doesn't matter if you believe in the harpods or if you just believe in the second coming, doesn't matter. He's coming back. And the question is, do I have this, this urgency about that? Do I have this awareness about this? Am I, am I highly motivated about this? Now, let me, let me just say this. Many, many people uh, think that imminence, remember, that's that concept that it could happen any minute. His return could come any minute, and there's no signs, there's no warnings, there's, there's, there's nothing has to happen other than for the Father to say to him, Go get your bride, and he taught that himself uh, in the in the book of John. He 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 taught the whole principle of the wedding feast as the type of how we should understand that we get born again. He goes away, prepares a place for us, and just like the bridegroom comes and calls his bride away and takes her to the marriage ceremony and the marriage feast and the father's house, that that's exactly what Jesus is going to do is going to do for us. So we have this, we have this typology. We have this, we have this sense of urgency, but many people will, they will get into the emotional side of this and they will jump to conclusions 
and they will start thinking that they're because of their emotions that really uh and they'll start developing theology that really Jesus is going to come back any day. Well, you know something, I believe we're in a season where it's not going to be long to where we're we're going to leave this world behind. We're, we're going to meet him. We're going to be meeting him sooner, I think, than most people actually realize. And because of the fact that there are no specific signs telling us when the harpazo will take place, I do believe that many, many people are going to be surprised. Many people are not going to be ready. Many people might even resist yielding to him and and going to meet him in the air and meet him with the mar- at the marriage feast lamb. I don't know. I don't know what degree we have, you know, any control or effect in that situation. But I know this. I my enthusiasm and my excitement is not because I believe he is coming back today or he is coming back tomorrow. My enthusiasm and my excitement is because I know he's coming back, is absolutely sure he's coming back. So I'm living as if he's coming back tomorrow. That's not my belief. I, my, because I can't know. The Father said, you can't know. And I believe a part of why the Father did not reveal that to us is because he wanted us to live in this state of expectancy. He wanted us to live our entire lives looking up and and, and expecting the Lord to return and to take us away. And he he you know, he wanted us to love his appearing, to anticipate his appearing, to to seek his appearing. He wanted us to call out to him. He wanted our prayer life to be around him coming back. And he wanted us to be in this life like the bride who who met the perfect groom and the wedding arrangements have been made and all that she has left to do is while the groom is going and preparing a place to take her, all she has left to do is to prepare herself to go meet him. Listen, one of the reasons we don't have passion is because we have lost our awareness, or maybe we never had our awareness about the fact that Jesus is returning, and and he could return at any time. And now this is, again, this is this is one of the reasons I recognize a difference between the harpazo and the second coming. The harpazo, where he where he catches us away, and this is you know Paul taught this in the book of Thessalonians, so it's in the Bible. We can't say that it's not there. That's that's the mystery. That's that's the one that we have no signs. All we can do is just is be ready. The second coming, we have all kinds of signs for, and we can tell very specifically things about when the second coming is going to take place, but we can't tell specifically when the harpazo is going to take place. Listen, you want to have a life of passion? I'm not saying change your doctrine. I'm not saying get to the place where you believe Jesus is going to come back tomorrow. I'm just saying make yourself aware of the fact that he's coming back. Make this a part of how you read your Bible and how you pray and how you are laying your life down because Remember, this parable started out talking about a servant, a steward, somebody that was there to serve. We are left in this world as stewards and as servants. And so so live like one. Live like someone who is expecting their Savior, their Lord, their Master to uh, call for us any moment. 
Listen, I hope you got a lot out of this. I hope you'll share this with other people. Be sure again and check out our Christmas special. Got great deals that will help your life and you can help other people. Go to our website, impactministries.com, drjimrichards.com. Consider becoming a world changer. Help us change the way the world sees God by raising up disciples all over the world. I'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.